are you doing? I wasn't sure how many people were going to be here today, right? How many of you have air conditioning? Let's see. Okay. You wimps. How many of you don't have air conditioning? Come on. There you go. But how many heard that we have air conditioning here and it's your first time here today, right? <laughs> Good. Uh, love you guys. Um, I'll just tell you this. Um, I started out yesterday with no air conditioning. Uh, by the end of the day, with a lot of duct tape and plastic and cardboard, we've got air conditioning, okay? So, whoo, yeah, you don't want to come to my house. It does not look pretty, right? Okay, but there is some cold air blowing around right now. But, whoo, I, I probably looked thinner. I think I was in a sweat tank all day yesterday. Uh, but it's good uh, to have you here. It's good to be here. Uh, and summer is here, right? It is here. So we are continue, continuing our series in Nehemiah. Uh, and we started off um, in Nehemiah uh, just looking at the overall theme of rebuilding after brokenness. And we are in a season of brokenness. You know, our society, if you look around, if you haven't totally shut the news off, which I'm finding a lot of have just done that, um, it is broken. It's sad. And the church is no exception. The church is, is taking hits. Our church all churches in America uh, have taken huge hits. And there is an element of brokenness in our churches today. So it was in that place as I was praying that God led me to Nehemiah. Because Nehemiah is a book about rebuilding after brokenness. Nehemiah is called to go back and rebuild the wall of Jerusalem because it had been destroyed. And Jerusalem is the, the epicenter of worship, God's presence, and a calling together of all God's people. And so Nehemiah, we see, is rebuilding after brokenness. And so if you need a Bible, raise your hand, and the ushers will get a Bible to you. So we looked at the series. We started off uh, the first week, and when we looked at, you know, the first step really starts within you, of raising my hand and saying, God, start with me. And we, Mark looked at Repentance. Starting with repentance. If there's any brokenness in me, God, start there. And then I came in and we looked at Nehemiah 2. We looked at uh, the family. That every one of us have gifts. And those gifts are needed. They're part of the rebuilding project. And then Sanjay came last week and, and talked about there is an enemy outside the camp. So as this building project is going on, they're rebuilding the wall. There is an enemy outside this camp. And what does Nehemiah do? He doesn't come up with some great strategy. He calls the people together, and they pray and listen for God. So in any rebuilding project, it's going to start with prayer. And so this week, there is a, another enemy lurking. There's another issue. So let's pray. You turn to Nehemiah chapter 5 while I pray. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. And it is my prayer that you would move me aside and that you would speak to me, that you'd speak through me to your sons and daughters here and online. And I pray that you would speak to each person in their place of need. I believe each person here is not here by accident. You have something to say to them. God, would you say it to them? And we love you and we trust you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So the enemy, now this enemy is going to take Nehemiah, take us to a place where we're going to have to reclaim the family, the family of God. And this enemy is inside the camp, inside the family. And this enemy is people are being left behind. People are being left behind. And we're going to see Nehemiah reclaim them. And we're going to answer the call to reclaim all of God's family. Now, looking at people being left behind, I thought of the experts in no man left behind, and it's our military folk. So I, I got a hold of some of my friends that are military veterans, and just asked them a few questions. And we learned about the military. You know, they have a creed. Uh, it's in Latin. It's, uh, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, Nemo recidio, and it means this, no man left behind. And it's, no man is, ain't no human. No man or woman left behind. And I asked my, my veteran friends, you know, the ones that have been in combat, I said, what, do, what does that mean to you when you hear that creed? And, and I just loved listening. It was just uh, humbling to, to, to read these words they wrote to me. And it said, it, it means this, that all are included. Whether it's work, play, or war, Everybody is included. It means this to them, that all are needed. Everybody brings value to this team, this family, and this. And all will be brought home. Everybody is coming home because the mission is not finished until everybody, man or woman, are brought home. And that instills a confidence, a trust, a camaraderie, a family to be about what they need to be about. No man left behind. I've got to say this before I just kind of get going. Uh, my wife and I were talking about these answers um, and the military. And I just got to say this. Man, I just got to stop. Thank you. Uh, it is un. Real for someone who did not serve in the military, let alone combat. Those of you that have and have family that did, I mean, my, I tip my hat to you. Unbelievable, unbelievable. And sometimes it's so easy for us to forget the sacrifice. Um, so I just want to stop and say thank you to all of you. Um, so God also has something to say about no man left behind. And the mission that God has. I love what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. It's talking about the kingdom of God, the work of Jesus, and him coming back. And it says this to us. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. We are in this together, scriptures tells us. No man left behind. Because why does Nehemiah seem to insert this right in the middle of this rebuilding the wall? Because listen, the people are the ministry. It's not about buildings and programs, folks. It's about people. They are the rebuilding project. It's that brokenness that we're re rebuilding. 
And God wants to grow his kingdom. And so all are invited. Some are not in the kingdom right now. And they're broken. And he says, go reclaim the family. That is the mission. That is the project. So let's look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 5. No man left behind and what he does. It starts with this. It starts with an outcry. Starts with an outcry in the first five verses. It's, and you see in, in verse one, just the, the outcry, it says the pain that is just expressed here. Uh, an outcry in that Hebrew just means this deep, deep hurt and pain. And that hurt is because of the situation they're in, but also this. It's who's causing it. Their outcry is to their Jewish brothers, to their family. It's to their family. This pain that they're in is being caused by their family. There's division in the family of God. Now, in church, differences can be a good thing and is a good thing. Being different, having different thoughts, different opinions, different interpretations, uh, because it's how we grow. But it's so easy to go from differences to division. And that is sin. It breaks the Father's heart, right? Because it destroys the mission that we are called to. So we see this outcry, this deep, pain. And, and who do we see it by? I love this. Parents. Parents. The parents are hurting. And it's no small thing to have the wives mentioned here in verse 7. Or excuse me, verse 2. Verse 2. And their wives. And we all know the system back there. The women didn't really have a voice. So when it gives a woman a voice, you, you better listen up. And here's what Mama Bear is saying. You're messing with my kids. You're messing with my kids, and she's throwing down. I learned this in my life, okay? Don't make Mama mad. You mess with her kids, right? I used to work in the woods younger, and they said the most dangerous thing out there is if you get between a cub and a Mama Bear, right? You do not want to be there. You're going to lose that battle really fast. And she will stop at nothing to protect those cubs. Right? So you see this happening right here. Mama's got something to say, and we better listen up. There's a problem. See in verse 2 through 5 there. The problem is this, okay? They were coming. You see four reports of oppression. It starts with this. It says, we can't buy enough food. We have a big family. We need to keep alive. So they're hungry. They're poor. And it goes, and this is, we have, and another group says, hey, we've had to mortgage all of our fields, our homes, everything, all of our assets. We had to mortgage because of a famine had set in. We can't get ahead. We've got no traction. And you'll see what the Jewish brethren are doing. The other person comes in and says, to pay the king's taxes, we had to go in extreme debt. 
We have the burden of debt on us. We're fading. We're about to crumble. And the last group comes up and says, our children. We've had to let our children sell them into slavery to try to get ends to meet. And it says this, even we had to sell our daughters to slavery. It depends what translation you're looking at, and it's the right translation is they are being, i to make sure there's kids here. Uh, they are being abused sexually, okay? That's what it's talking about. We had to sell them in that space, right? You see why mama's mad? She's why they're crushed. And they said, we are no different than you. We're on mission just like you. We're the same, and look what's happening. We're being left behind. We are being left behind. You know, we look at our world around us. You know, is there poverty? I don't know if you know this. In Everett, Snohomish County, 41% of our people, see if I got it right, sorry, no, I don't, 21% of our people lives, track with me here, okay, some numbers coming up, 21% of our population live 200% below the poverty level. Not just below it, but 200% below the poverty level right in our own city, our people, the people that we are called to go to, the people that we are called to invite to a relationship with Jesus Christ to be on mission with us, our family, right? 21%, that's a huge number. Hunger, is that a real thing? Of that 21%, 41% of them are children that are hungry. And I have some friends that are teachers, and I was asked, I didn't end up doing it because they found somebody else, but during this pandemic, I was asked if I might uh, deliver food from the schools to homes because the kids um, don't get a meal a day. And even now when school's in session, on Fridays, they are sending meals home with kids because they're finding out that these kids don't get food during the weekend. And we know the impact that has on learning and everything. So is hunger a real thing? Yeah, it is. What about slavery? You know, I mean, they're all startling numbers. But I read between 45 and 50 Underage people are discovered in Everett every year to have been sold into the sex trafficking industry. And you know there's many, many more not discovered. 45 to 50 kids. Uh, is there a problem? Are there people being left behind? Yes. You see, when you, you look at poverty and the things that Nehemiah is bringing, up here, what you see in this story, what we see in real life, is that poverty impacts every aspect of a person's life. If you have not taken the course that we offer called Poverty 101, you have to take it. You have to take it. Because it teaches about these implications of what poverty does to people. It pushes them down, it pushes them out, they get left behind. And it's a real issue that God calls us into, because these people are called to be with us, to not be left behind, but to be invited, and God calls us this. So in that setting, 
How does Nehemiah respond? So he hears these reports, uh, and you're going to see he's going to bring a charge. He's going to bring a charge starting in verse 6 there, going through verse 10. Now he comes in hot. He is mad. I love his word. He is very angry, it says in verse 6. See that? <laughs> Circle the word very. Right? You get mad, right, sometimes. But when you get very mad, right, watch out. He is angry because he's hearing these reports. He understands what the mission is. And he's seeing people devalued, right, and left behind, excluded. And he's saying, what's going on? They're right in the middle of this project. He's saying, you are missing what this is all about. Rebuilding Jerusalem. It is about all people being included us doing this as a family, everybody having a part and a place to play. You're missing that their story is your story. If they are broken, if they are impoverished, we all are. Because we're in this together. You are missing it. And he is ticked off. He is mad. And he's mad because of this. Right? He's mad because the people that are the violators of this, it is the nobles, right? Um, and it's the nobles and the, the governors, the rulers. And who these are, these are the smart people and the successful people. That's what he's getting at. These are the people who should know better and can do better. They got all the means to know better and to do better. And so why is he mad and angry? Because he's right in the middle of this project. I mean, he can't believe it. After hundreds of years, they are rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. Here it comes. It's amazing. And you people who know better, this is what you're doing? This is what you're doing. And here's the charge against him. Here's what he sees they're doing. First of all, he says, you have lost your focus on God. You have let the heart of God slip out of your focus. You're all about this time, this world, and what you can get. And how is it going for you? They've lost their focus on God, their fear of God, it says. They are allowing the very people that they bought out of slavery over the years, hundreds of years, to be br brought back into slavery at their own hands. Says, you are putting them back so we have to buy them again? What are you doing? You are missing this. You have allowed greed, pride, and compromising of God's word to seep into you, your life. And Nehemiah is mad. And I think this what breaks God's heart should break our heart. Amen? Amen. What breaks God's heart should break our heart. And this breaks God's heart. Breaks Nehemiah's heart. And so as we look at these violations, what does he say? What is the command? What's he say to him? He says this. I love this. He's going to say, here's, here's what you're going to have to do. And he's all wound up, like I said. 
He says this in verse 9. Because you need to fear God again. You need to get tuned back into God. It always starts there. Remember where our series went? It starts back, us tuning to God. It's always a God thing. If we start, well, let's just do better. No, no. It starts in your heart. In your heart, you have to be better before you do better, right? We want God to work in and through us. He tells them, be an example to the lost world. Be an example to the lost world. Here's what we've been doing. We've been doing this all along. And what you're doing is going to bring the taunts of the nations. They're going to ridicule us. They'll say, look at those goofballs. And church, let's ask ourselves this question. Do we get ridiculed sometimes? Yeah, you know the answer, so do I. Uh, yes. People looking behind our walls and say, why are they always fighting? I thought they were supposed to be the place of love. I thought they were supposed to be this, this, this people that understand grace, that their Messiah gives so much grace that he will go to the cross for them and die for them. And they won't even give each other that much grace. They're angry all the time over the littlest of things. What, what a joke this place called the church can be, Right? And what do you think God thinks of this? Man, you're missing it. And so Nehemiah is charging him. We have to be an example. This world is broke. And when they peek through our windows, when they're brave enough to accept your invitation or sneak in the back row and have a seat because there's something stirring deep in their heart, they've got to see Jesus. They've got to see him. And you know where they'll see Jesus? in you. They won't know your name. They'll hear you talking, walking by, maybe read your Facebook post. Will they see Jesus? Will they feel it? Will they be what Nehemiah is talking about? And will the taunts come and the ridicule and the voice of the church be squelched by our culture because we're not relevant, right? Be an example. Be an example, he tells him. He says this, uh, and then what you've got to do, Nehemiah, or excuse me, uh, the, um, the nobles and the rulers, is to stop charging taxes. See, the core thing is this is what they're doing. They were, they were adding taxes to the people, and big taxes. And these are the Jewish people. Right? So the people are coming back from captivity and they're kind of moving into Jerusalem and the area and they're just trying to make their way and, and get going again. And of course, the king of Persia has his taxes, right? So um, we could talk about taxes and I won't. <laughs> but there they go, right? There they go. Um, the king's taxing them and then they're taxing each other even more. And that's what the people said. We can't do this. You guys are killing us. And Nehemiah said to him, "Stop charging these taxes, and take it a step further." Verse nine and ten. There, look at that. He says this: Give them back their houses. Give them back their vineyards. Give them back their fields. 
Give them back everything. He even adds to the list. Give them their oils. Give it, give it, give it back. Bring them home. Bring them home. This is the mission. This is what we're rebuilding. Bring them back. In fact, the taxes that you collected, repay them all. Give all that money back to them. Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine if you just got a check for all the taxes the government took from us, right? Woo, we'd be good, right? <laughs> but that's what they did. Give it all back. And they'd be back for 100 years, folks. This is a lot of money. Here it comes. They brought it back. And he loves them. He wants to restore them. He wants to say, no man left behind. Do not leave anyone out. You go and you bring them home because they're part of this rebuilding project. They are the people of God. They are why Jerusalem is there and what God wants to do through that. People are our rebuilding project. And people are broke, right? Some literally, most of us, emotionally, some physically, all of us spiritually. There's a brokenness, and God has called us to come in. Listen to uh, Isaiah 58, this charge during this time, but I think it really catches the heart of what God is telling all of us today. Is go get them. No one left behind. Keep rebuilding. Listen to Isaiah 58, verses 3 through 12, and it's a conversation uh, with God, and he's saying, this is what I want for you. They said to him, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We have been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. He says, I will tell you why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? The kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. That's a, a mourning practice. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. And do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then you will call. The Lord will answer, yes, I am here, and he will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as the noon. The Lord will guide you continually. 
giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your city. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Amen? Amen. That is who we are called to be. In the New Testament, Jesus calls. Whatever you do to the least of these, you are doing unto me. Meaning this, you get me. You understand me. You understand that the people are the rebuilding project. No man left behind in the kingdom of God. And I've asked you to be my ambassadors, my hands and feet. Go. Go get them. Go get them. Bring them home. Because we've got beautiful, beautiful work to do of professing the gospel of Jesus Christ in a broken world that desperately needs to hear about the love and grace of Jesus. That's what we get to do. That's what we're called to do. So as they keep going, we see uh, the return and how they respond. You look at verse 10 and 11 again. So what they say, they hear this. And they make a promise. We will do this. We will do this. Yes, they say, you know, the nobles and the rulers. Yes, we will. Hey, I love what Nehemiah does. Okay, let's make sure. So he brings a notary, a spiritual notary in, right? That's the priest. It's like if you and your neighbor make an agreement, all of a sudden you call me up and I show up. Okay, you promise? You said you'd do this, right? Your dog's going to stop barking? Okay, right? Bigger than that. But they bring the priest in to really literally sign the deal. Spiritual here, right? You're going to do this? Yes, we're going to do this. And then he gives a little warning in verse 13 there. He says, um, if you don't, just so you know, you can actually this, you can read one of your translations, but he basically takes his pockets out and says, see how these are empty? Yours will be too if you don't do this. I love this, right? And the reason he uses that description and that penalty, if you would, because we're all in this together. Your story is my story. My story is your story. Our story is their story. And we are bankrupt if we don't understand that. We are bankrupt if we don't understand that, of why we exist, why we're left here. God is good and gracious. He's not more, but he doesn't let us you know, come to know him and say, okay, now stay there and suffer for 70, 80 years, and I'll call you up here. No, there's a reason you are here, right? To be lights that point to the light that is Jesus. And we are bankrupt if we don't understand that. And that's what he's saying to him. And I love this, and this is in my call to all of us, is this. Uh, they say yes, amen. In fact, a whole assembly. If you track this uh, chapter, when Nehemiah gets upset, you know what he does? He gets mad at him. He calls everybody in. The nobles, right? All of them, the rulers, and the poor people. They're all in a room saying, we're all gonna win this together. We're in this together. And they all say, amen. Yes, 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 that's it. That is it, we get it. We see God in that. We see for us Jesus in this. Yes, and they praise the Lord. They praise the Lord. And it goes on to verse 14. And this is a, they, I think an insert, but basically it, it's a, a little section of Nehemiah's diary, they believe, right? Verses 14 to the end of it. 
And so he also zooms out. And, and Nehemiah is musing and talking to him. He's just saying, I've done this. This is how I, the whole 12 years that I was governor of this region, this is what I've done. This is what I've done. I've done this. Yes, I've done this. So question I have for us. If we were to write a diary, if you were to, if I were to, if North Shore was to write a diary, would it read like Nehemiah's? Yeah, we've done that. That's what we're doing. That's us. What if not? I know there's great things happening here. You know, Nancy Brewer and the mission team, they got some great stuff going on. You know, places that we can go in and, and be part of this, uh, going to get people left behind, right? Lord's a little cooker. You know, we, and you guys look for these out in the lobby because it's check it out days. It's a chance to go and get your eyes, your, your feet, your experiences on the things that we're doing uh, to go get people left behind. Lord's a little cooker, right? Every Saturday morning, uh, do an amazing job uh, of feeding the hungry, the homeless there. I go that we get the Pregnancy Resource Center. Uh, if you don't know about it, Casino Road uh, Kids Ministry, Tyrone, amazing what they're doing. In that area, when I mentioned poverty, I told you uh, 21% live below 200%. In that neighborhood, in that region, South Central Everett, it's well over 50% live over 200% below the poverty, right? And I love Tyrone out there doing a great work. No man left behind, he is in there. Go check these things out, okay? But I also wanna say this. I am so moved, have been moved uh, by this call because most of you, well, you might know I've talked up enough, but I grew up poor, okay? You know, poor kid up in the mountains. And so I walked in the shoes of what it feels like to be poor, what it feels like to be left behind, um, and, you know, how people treat you, how they look at you, uh, the low expectations of you, all the things. Uh, I know what that feels like, and it hurts, just so you know, it hurts. You got to put a brave face on, you got to battle, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, a guy, let's go pull yourself by your bootstraps and, and get going. I, I'm wired that way, but it doesn't mean it's not a hard journey, right? And so uh, when I took this position, and elders were saying, we believe God's calling you, and you guys know that conversation. You know, they had to pull me out from under the couch, get out here, listen to us, right? Uh, but it's this deal, right? I said, okay, you gotta know my heart. Gotta know my heart. We have to be a church uh, that matters in this community for Jesus. I want the whole community to see Jesus shine bright, and he shines bright when we go and we extend compassion and make a difference. And so we've been talking about that. You've heard a little bit about this. So I'm going to invite one of our elders up real quick. Uh, and I want him to share about something called Peter's house. Okay? Peter's house. Someone asked me about this real quick. And um, are you going to tell them why we named it Peter's house? Is that part of your thing? You want me to tell them? Okay? Here's why we called this Peter's house. Okay? When Jesus started his earthly ministry, he was in Nazareth. He says, I've come to uh, free the oppressed and uh, set the captives free. Well, they got mad, and he, he kicked him out of Nazareth. What happened? So he went up to Capernaum, north of the Sea of Galilee, moved in with a guy he had called to be an apostle named Peter, moved into his house, and from that place started his ministry of being the light to the world. 
So Peter's house is a place that we're going to go. And from that, we're going to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to our entire community. Okay? That's why it's called Peter's house. This is Dave Wallace, an elder, and I want him, and he's a chairman of the Peter's House Committee, and he's going to give you an update. Dave? Thank you, Pastor Scott. Appreciate that. Good morning. So I am Dave Wallace, uh, one, of the, uh, one of the elders here, and have had the pleasure of working with a group of about eight people from this community to begin to understand what it means to serve in our community. What would that look like? What does God call us to? Isaiah's calls... Um, calls the people of God to an authentic worship, a worship that's not just habitual, not just something we do as a right in our lives, uh, meaning, meaning a habit that we have. Rather, it's, it's a call for us to have ears that are willing to hear and eyes that are willing to see and a heart that is willing to feel and to take that heart of God and the cry of the people around us and to put feet to service. So it's a way of us passionately pursuing Jesus into compassionate service. That's what Peter's house is. It's a conduit by which we, the people who follow Christ, can put feet to the message of the gospel to hear the cry, to see the condition of people around us, to feel the heart of God and go serve. So um, if you would go ahead and please get us to the next slide. Okay, and we can, I'm sorry, we can go through this. This is just what Scott read. I encourage you to spend some time in that because what you will see in Isaiah is, is he spends, oh, maybe a verse or two calling out the issue. Uh, and then he spends a whole lot of time really sort of going back and forth between, gee, you, you don't know me. You feel like I've left you. Here's why. But if you change this, you'll know me. I will, you, you'll know my presence. I will be with you. So I encourage you to spend some time meditating on that as you think about Peter's house. And so what the committee did, if you take us to the next slide, the committee began to think about what are the needs of the people around us? How can we capture an understanding of that need? And we went to, to learn. We went out in the community to learn. We spoke with some leading uh, service providers in the community. We we toured and studied and, and talked with people who were running ministries similar to this out into the community over in Post Falls, here in Linwood, and in Everett to gain some insight into what would this look like? How can we build a conduit that allows us, the people of North Shore, to put feet to the gospel in the community, to passionately pursue Jesus through compassionate acts of service in a way that is life on life, it's relational, it's not transactional. We've seen models that are very transactional, just putting food in a trunk. We've seen models that are very relational, and that's what we want. We want to invite people into a deeper relationship with us, with Jesus, here, by inviting them deeper and deep, deeper and deeper into ministry opportunities. And that might start with some very, very basic needs. I'm hungry. I can't, I can't feed my family. That's what Nehemiah heard. And we, so we might be able to help with that. And as we help with that, we might learn more about their story and invite them deeper into a deeper relationship with us. I don't know who I am. I can't get traction as a man. How can I do this? So we provide services and education and compassionate coaching to lead them into life. And ultimately, through all of this, deeper and deeper into their life, we're inviting them to know the Father through the sacrifice of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Peter's house is a conduit by which we get to respond to the call of God to go out into the community with the love of Jesus Christ. 
So we've been at this for about a year, if you'll go to the next slide, please. Uh, just sort of studying and praying and seeking the heart of the Father and how can we organize around this so that this body of, I don't know, uh, 800 or 1,000 people who routinely engage with us can actually get out and feel empowered to bring the love of Christ to the community. And through all of that, we've sort of boiled this down to uh, a couple of phases of, of operational execution, if you will. So what does it look like? Across the bottom on this slide, you can see uh, five boxes, thrift store, food distribution, job readiness, financial services, and education. We landed on these by, number one, studying the community, and number, number two, considering who we are. What has God made North Shore to be? What's unique about us? What makes us different from the church down the road? Every church has a distinct um, uh, outlook, has a distinct set of giftedness, a distinct group of people, and God doesn't do that by accident. It's on purpose. So as we looked as a committee at these things, we identified things that we thought we could be really successful at if we had the will to do it and the way. So this is what Peter's house is. It's where we're sort of putting feet to it. So in the dark green is phase one. We're really on the cusp of just being able to do this. And if you've been around a while, you know, you know we're doing some of this now. We just want to organize it and connect it so it's more relational, less transactional, so that we can bring the life of Christ to these folks. So food distribution, job readiness, financial services. Food distribution's easy, but it's more than just putting food in a trunk, it's learning the story, it's inviting them into a relationship and a conversation and a dialogue so we come to know these people who need service and need, need assistance. Uh, job readiness, boy, how do you empower somebody to better themselves? Uh, Pastor Scott mentioned uh, helping, you know, helping without hurting, when, and, and there's a great book that you can read on that, When Helping Hurts, and there's one way to to provide for the needs of the poor, and that's just transactionally give them something, but that's not very empowering. What we want to do is empower them to be who God created them to be and to uh, join alongside or live alongside with them life on life and help them live their way out through empowering services that we provide. So job readiness is one of those where we help people learn how to go get a job, get a better job, how to improve their situation over time so that they can continually provide better and better for their personal needs and the needs of their family. And then financial services, same story. We're doing this now. You've probably heard of it called benevolence and those sorts of things. So people find themselves in a situation. It might, be, it might just be a moment in time. It might just sort of be uh, an acute event where suddenly I just don't have enough money to pay a bill. Maybe a major medical thing came up in a family or something of that nature. And so they come, they seek service, they seek some assistance, and we have a means of providing that, and we do provide it. We just want to make it, again, more relational. We want to be able to, regardless of where somebody enters into the conversation with us, we want to be able to invite them to the next level. We want to get to know them better. We want them to know us better. We want to invite them to know Jesus through all of this, distinctively, Christ focused. And then as we move on, all of these things that we wish to do, we need some leadership around them. We, we spent some time talking, the committee spent some time talking with the pastoral leadership, and we said, boy, you know, uh, we've learned that it's going to take, you know, up to 100, 150 volunteers to run a ministry like this. We need to get busy about finding those people. How are we going to find those people? And the, it, we spent a lot, we, we learned 
the process by looking at how others are doing it. We now know we have the need. How do we do that? And what we determined was, boy, you know, we're going to need a little leadership to organize around this. So that's that top box. We need somebody to facilitate, to build the structure so that we can, so that we can build that team of volunteers. We can build the structures around the ministry so that we're all doing the same thing in the same way and we're not ever off mission. It's always about inviting them to, to go deeper with the Lord and we're showing them how through these acts of service. So we've discovered we need that. We're going to need some training and support. And through, so we need this phase two piece. We've got a thrift store here to help meet basic needs, um, clothing, shoes, those sorts of things, food services, and then education. It's, it's unique to North Shore. If you're not familiar with, with the academy, you probably all are. Boy, what an amazing ministry that is. And if you don't think it's a ministry, just just realize how many children are coming out of homes that don't know Christ. They're worshiping other gods. Get saved at the academy. What an amazing ministry. Well, that ministry bears an incredible amount of fruit, and that ministry really knows how to educate. And one of the most empowering things for people in our community is a good education. So we're bound and determined to find a way to pivot that and focus it out into the community, take what we've learned there, and bring some basic educational services to that community. So all of that is huge. It's big. It's the call of God to us. It's the heart of God to us. If you don't believe it, go back to Isaiah. God's heart is that we hear it, we see it, we feel the pain of it, and we respond, we say, as the, as the nobles did in Nehemiah, we will. We'll, we'll do this. We'll do this. So if you'll take us to the next slide, here's, here's our ask. So that we can get about this, and we're, we're hoping that we're really going to have this really, really tangible this fall. And we have some needs. We really need your support in prayer. You know... The will of God is not a complicated thing, but I tend to make it really, really complicated because I get really, really specific with this stuff, and I go, Lord, what is your will for my life? And it's really quite simple. It's just see where he's working and go there. And so we need to see where God's working. So pray with us for this body, not for the Peter's House Committee, not for the pastoral team, not for the elders alone. Yes, all of those, but for us. Pray for us that we see where God is working and that we're willing to go. That through that, we understand the needs of our neighbors. What is it that we could do that would best empower them to know and feel the love of Christ and better their situation in the community? And that we would lovingly do the work of the ministry. That's what we're here for. Jesus calls us to do the work of the ministry that God prepared in advance that we would walk in them. That is the gospel. That's us. So please pray. Join us in prayer that we would be willing to lovingly do the work of the ministry and grow in relationships leading to salvation out in the community. So join us in prayer. Would you do that for us? Would you do that with us? Also, ask the Father for provision. We need provision. All through the book of Nehemiah, we see God providing. Even in the very beginning, Nehemiah didn't go to, to Israel, back to Jerusalem empty-handed. He went with provision, abundant provision. When God took Israel out of Egypt, they went with provision, abundant provision. God will provide for this ministry. Will you join us in asking him to provide the right facilitator, leader for the ministry, space in which to serve? Sounds simple, but it's not. How, the right place for the right services at the right time? It could be a little complicated, so we need your help with that. 
Uh, volunteers with hearts to serve. You heard me throw out, throw out a number, 100 to 150 volunteers. When this ministry is fully functional, it will require that. Nothing less than that. And that's because if, if we depend upon the few, say 30 or 40, we wear them out really, really fast. And pretty soon their hearts grow cold and tired. They themselves need support beyond what perhaps we can give. So we need 100 or so people over time. We're not going to start out needing 100. We'll probably start out needing 40 or so. But we're going to need to grow that. And then we need to grow a model that allows us to support that group. If you were a volunteer in a ministry like that, you're going to find yourself on the battlefield. You're going to find yourself in a relationship with somebody who's really deeply broken, and you're going to hear things, and it's going to weigh you down, and you're going to need somebody to come alongside. And that's going to be a brother or a sister right here in this body whose, whose role in this ministry is to support you, to pray for you, to train you up, to see that you have a need, to give you rest so that you can go out and do it again. Would you pray with us that we can build all of that and that we can take it out into the community? What an amazing opportunity for us to say, God, we hear you. Break our hearts so that we can go out and serve in the love of Christ. If you want to know more about this, if you want to be engaged with it, probably the best way to do that right now is drop an email. Is it info at northshorechristianchurch.org? Is that right? Info at northshorechristianchurch.org. In the subject line, just say Peter's house. If you have a specific question or a comment or concern, go ahead and build out the email. And the, the folks that monitor that email will make sure those emails get to us on the committee, and you'll be hearing from us. Amen. Good, good, good. Um, I might have just missed this piece. Um, you, know, uh, you saw a thrift store. Uh, here's the purpose of a thrift store. There's some good th things all come of a thrift store. They're good, but primarily it's revenue generating. Our research searches showed between two uh, hundred thousand, uh, three hundred thousand in revenue annually, uh, upwards to a million. You imagine that in the name of Jesus poured into our community, uh, right? Uh, and that's why you see a thrift store up there, okay? Because we don't want to do any little thing. We want a work of God uh, in the name of Jesus in our community, okay? Um, so excited about that. Get a hold of us. Come talk to us. Uh, we're just going to be open-handed, listening, learning. God, show us and speak to us. Where uh, Nehemiah chapter 5 lands, verse 19. I love this. As he, in that diary, he just writes this. God, see the good that I'm doing and bless me. Right? What he's saying is this. He says, Father, be proud of me. How significant is it to hear your father say, I'm proud of you? Some of us have spent a lifetime waiting for those words, right? And that's what Nehemiah says. says, God, I've, I've left no one behind. I'm working at it. I want you to be proud of me. I know for me, this has been my heart's cry during this whole brokenness of our, our society and our, our church. Um, just, God, I'm not smart enough. I desperately need you. And at the end of the day, there's one thing I want. I don't want to please man because I'm discovering I can't do that. God, are you proud of me? It's interesting. I just love this. Um, 
I shared that with the staff. I was just, God, I want you to be proud of me. Uh, are you proud of me, Jesus? That next week, and I know this person didn't talk to anyone's staff. A person in our church came up to me, says, I've got a word from God for you. And I love it. They said, write this down. It, it, it's specific to you. And I said, okay, okay. And she says, God wants you to know that he's proud of you. Right? It's like, you know, a person doesn't know. I was just like, uh, because those have been, um, those have been my tears for a year. I, I love God. I love this church. I want everybody to know Jesus. It's been a tough, tough season. Lots of brokenness. I just want Jesus to be proud of me, right? I want you, as part of North Shore, to be able to pray that prayer. God, are you proud of me? And to hear him say, yes, I'm proud of you. You've left nobody behind. You get me. You understand what I'm doing, what the rebuilding is. So we got, we got something cool coming up here about taking steps to please the Father. It's just saying yes to him. <laughs> and we're going to take a minute to go over that tank right there. Because what the Father says to Jesus when he is baptized, he looks at him as Jesus, because John says, what, you don't have to do this? He says, yeah, yeah, I must do this. It's what we're asked to. And then Jesus is baptized. What does the Father say to him? This is my son, whom I am, well pleased. The Holy Spirit comes on him and he starts his ministry and ends up at that cross saving us. So baptism is this step of saying yes to Jesus. I want to please you. So I'm going to go before people and talk about a faith that I have in Jesus and his work on the cross for my sin that has freed me and given me new life. And the Father says this, I am pleased. So let's go watch somebody please the Father.